Hey guys, what's up? It's Greg, another Cinema Hodgepod. This is for late July. And for these Hodgepod, these are basically just different segments thrown up, thrown in like the proverbial gumbo. Not expected to for you to listen from A to Z regarding this because these different segments, some of them will be spoilers or interviews, etc., etc. So for this segment, we have some really good ones. First off, Shrek Retold. And it's a fan-made film from just different content creators and artists that I guess were were collected like their own hodgepod. Okay. And you can find it. Just type in Shrek Retold on YouTube. Peter Beta from Middle Class Film Class joins us to talk about it. This was his pick as far as Bruce's, Bruce Perky's What's in the Box, weekly What's in the Box recommendations. And yeah, Pete recommended Shrek Retold and he joins us to talk about this really weird movie that I still haven't seen. I've only seen bits and and pieces of this sort of pastiche. It's basically it's basically a retell a retelling or re, not a remake. It's it's a it's Shrek retold just through different visions of different artists and directors and content creators, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So one of these days I'll get to it, but Bruce and Eric both enjoyed it and they have a really lively conversation with Pete. Now if you're interested in creating podcasts or learning what's behind, what goes into the making of a podcast. I asked Peter Beta a couple of evergreen questions on how we got into the podcasting business and and he actually shared some insights on what are some of, what are some of the things that he's learned along the way as a podcaster for Middle Class Film Class, which he hosts on a weekly basis with his buddies and co-hosts, Tyler Noe and Joseph Navarro. So that is the first segment, Shrek Retold. The second segment is Bruce and Eric got together about a week, week and a half ago to talk about the black phone. They have a spoiler, spoiler review, spoiler discussion of the film, the film directed by Scott Derrickson and headlined by Ethan Hawke. I still haven't seen the black phone. Finally, a movie that I'm really obsessed with. It's called Gone in the Night. As we speak right now, it is currently in theaters. A lot of you will probably see this when it hits digital on demand. Hopefully gets the streaming headlined by Winona Ryder and Dermot Moroney, Brianne Chu. And we do a, all three of us, me, Bruce, and Eric, do a spoiler discussion of Gone in the Night. Very, very, very interesting film. We covered it on Find Your Film this week. We gave it a review as well. But this is our total spoiler discussion. So some of you, hopefully, who knows, I hope there is a couple of listeners out there who have seen Gone in the Night, which is in theaters, or and will actually find some value regarding the spoiler content for the end of this episode, or maybe you've seen Shrek Retold. Maybe you like the black phone. So a lot of this stuff, the black phone and gun of the night are spoiler driven. Shrek, Shrek Retold is really, how can you spoil that? That's more of a, a lively discussion with Pete and Bruce and Eric. Okay. So if you want some more in depth entertainment news information, go to findyourfilms.com. It's a site that I'm building with me, Eric and Bruce and Anderson. So hopefully give us some time and I'm trying to build this out and really put some podcasting segments on that site along with some value-added information. The goal is to actually make that website an archival information as well as an interactive, engaged website with us and our members of our Cinematics Facebook group. I'll have all the links regarding our Cinematics Facebook group, find your film stuff, and also where you can find Peter Beta's middle film, middle class film class. Get, let's get to the hodgepod. Hopefully, you'll enjoy some of these segments. Take care, guys, and thanks for listening to Find Your Film. Bye. Well, Pete, you're here for uh, Shrek. What is it? Retold or something? Shrek, Shrek Retold? 
Shrek retold, yeah. Yeah, before we get into that, I, I want to actually get some evergreen content from you, Pete. First off, first off, for anyone listening who's really wanting to get into the podcasting game, what are some of the advice you would give to wannabe podcasters out there, Whether no matter what field they're getting into, as far as what you've learned the last couple of years of doing this on your journey? Mm, that's interesting. Um, you know, the the one there's like two things that we set out to do when we started the show was the way I consume podcasts is like I have my Monday show, I have my Tuesday show, I got my Thursday show. And then there's shows that just, they come in whenever. There's a couple that will come one a week, two a week, three a week, just sporadically. And <clears throat> I always wanted it to be like every, every Wednesday you can expect our show to be sitting waiting for you on your drive to work. So when, we, when Joseph and Tyler and I started, we, we my only like, requirement for them essentially was I'll, I'll do it with you guys and it sounds really fun but i, I want to have a set schedule and not deviate from that unless we decide ahead of time and we're going to change the day or whatever not we'll do an episode and then three weeks later there's another one um just because i like that whole weekly radio sort of thing um radios i've been listening i listen to radio like my whole life yeah, i don't really listen to music in the car unless there's other people with me um, most of the time it's just talk radio so is that and then also just be the best version of what we do, whatever that is, and not take ourselves too seriously. So as far as learning along the way goes, um, I'd say probably the most rewarding thing besides just actually doing the show and having fun and having a creative outlet um, for like just daily, oh, that would be fun to do on the show. Oh, let's make a bit about that. You know, besides that aspect of it, it's like meeting guys like the three you guys or like uh, Jason Kleberg from Force 5 or, you know, uh, uh, Jack Fitzgerald or you know, um, Josh G from your next favorite movie. There's all kinds of people, cool people that I've met, um, through like the whole podcast world. It's like, it's all indie stuff and we're all here just doing it for free and <laughs> hoping that people are listening. And, you know, sometimes it feels like you're just talking out into the ether, which you are, but if you don't really care about that and you're just doing it for the fun for yourself, then you, you've, you can make a lot of really cool friends along the way, which, uh, sounds cheesy, but it's true. Pete, unlike me and and the and the boys here, I I'm editing the show. I'm producing the show. I do a horrible job actually mixing the sound together. You have you do a great job with your guys. And after a long day's work, how do you find the workflow energy to create bits, mix your stuff together, and also put out so many different contents on on your different socials and build your community with a full time job in tow? I Bruce and Eric they have full time jobs. I have no excuse. I, but I still do, I still do a horrible job as, as Bruce and Eric, they, they, they won't rebut me. So you see, you hear the silence, the deafening truth, but <laughs> what was the key for you to get done? So I can say, Greg, you're full of shit. Yes. <laughs> uh, They're loudly. Well, we right now. Great guy. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the full of S work. Thank you, Eric. But that's true. You don't have to repeat things that are very true, but Pete, what, thank you, Eric. What is your workflow like? How do you, how are you able to do that with all that stuff going on? We, we have a, a standing like noon on Saturday um, call time essentially for each episode and we record both of them back to back. We take a break in the middle of 10-15 minutes just to grab water and get, hit the bathroom and then we do the second episode, the review episode. And um, that works for the three of us. Um, as far as editing goes, it's pretty much not edited. I mean, it's it's as, about as live as you can get. If, I'm, if I have a cough or something because I, I have pretty bad asthma, we'll edit out the coughs and we'll edit out um, long segments of, uh, you know, Tyler just pontificating, <laughs> you know, I will say though, uh, so, uh, there's a lot of that. <laughs> some of those we'll leave in, some of them we'll, we'll take out. And then, 
And then we do reserve the right to blank out something that we might have said. You know, there's a couple things we've gone a little too far for the joke and then just gets cut out. That's like reserved for uh, middle class after dark. So, (laughs) (laughs) but uh, I do one episode, Joseph does the other. And Joseph is a professional video editor. So he works at a high end like advertising company and marketing. So he's, he does video editing, which is a lot more involved. So audio editing is just kind of like, okay, it's, it's, it helps that we record everything in like 14 tracks. So we can just cut this and cut that. And it's a lot easier. It's pretty quick once you get the hang of it. But as far as all the other bits and stuff like that, it's just, I don't know. It's just fun. I, I try not to think of it as like a thing that I have to do is more like, it's just something fun to do. And I'm like, Ooh, let's change up the streaming picks uh, music this week and let's do something different. And we'll just, I'll just get a bunch of ideas and plug, plug them into my laptop while I'm watching TV. And then once I sit down at the studio or the, the table, whatever you want to call it, then we just put something together and say, Tyler, we're going to do something fun this week. You ready for trivia? No? <laughs> Too bad. <laughs> Before we get into the reviews, I have one final question, and I'm going to leave you to the fun part with Eric and Bruce. Do you have a big grand plan for middle class film class as far as like your big goal with you and the guys? Because my, my goal is very small. It's just to monetize my, the podcast with Find Your Film and steal as much money as possible from the coffers, so leaving Eric and Bruce broker than they are right now. That's just my personal thing with them. But what is your grand plan for your, for your show with the guys? Um, <clears throat> we haven't really talked about the, the ultimate goal, but I think that, um, you know, it would be fun to get partnered up with like a, a podcast network that's able to, you know, spread the word and have a cross promotion kind of naturally built into it. Um, you know, it would be fun to make money doing it. Um, to be honest at this point, you know, you've helped me make contacts with, you know, press agents and stuff in LA where they're able to get me in touch with people that are able to be part of the creative process or the actual, like in front of the camera sort of stuff. When it's like, that's pretty cool. Just being able to talk to, you know, the two leads from Brian and Charles, it was like, that was super cool. And it's like you guys, I being able to speak with Maddie Doe and um, Juan Diego Escobar. Is that his name? Yeah. Escobar right? Right? Okay. Yeah. 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 Alessante, yeah. That's it. And um, you know, those, those things are like, that's, pretty neat that's a really interesting thing to do and you know i know it costs money to make this sort of stuff and you're not making i'm not making any money back you know the money that we get back from what merch people are buying is uh, just covers you know marketing costs or uh hosting costs and that's fine but if we have two episodes a week an hour long a piece it's consistent we know you know what you're getting when you come listen to the show it's three idiots talking on a mic and saying stupid things about stuff that you might care about and we hope you care about and bringing a service to people to, you know, don't waste your time on this, do waste your time on that. Um, you know, I think that would be something that a podcast network could get behind and say, Oh, this is interesting. This is an interesting. Take a, a more or less live show, you know, put out there like a morning radio show and it's consistent. We haven't missed an upload in two and a half years, almost three years. Um, our release day has been the same ever since. So, um, yeah, I think that would probably be the goal, be able to cash in a little bit and at least pay for hosting, you know, <laughs> yeah, at least uh, definitely at least pay for hosting. As far as hosting goes, I'm going to shut up now. Bruce and Eric lead the way for the fun part of this hodgepod with Shrek retold. Oh, I thought we were talking about, Never mind. <laughs> I, I, I thought we were talking about like burger money. Cause that <laughs> burger money, burger yeah, money. Yeah. Get, get that burger money. Oh, by the way, speaking of money, you know, you know how generous Eric is, Pete, I'm gonna uh, call out okay. Eric Holmes. Yeah. Okay, so we we did get, and this is just like behind baseball. This is how this is the difference between uh, nice people uh, like Eric and, and mean people like me. 
we got a slight profits from our Find Your Film merch. Thank you, by the way, Peter Beta, for that glassware that you, you purchased from us. Uh-huh. He, sent, he sent all the profits to me and Bruce. He, he left no money for himself. I, I was incensed that I have such a good friend who has such pure values because I would have just completely – Eric, how dare you be so nice with that? I, I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. And, and also, <laughs> yeah. I, one, one more th- – I'm waiting to get it on the back end. Yeah. yeah. I don't think I understand quite <laughs> Always. Back Always. Yeah. And one more, one more thing, Pete. Promise goal. What's up? One more thing, Pete. Thank you so much for saying about like me giving you contact for these public- publicists and everything. I thought I gave you fake contacts and numbers. So I'm glad, that, <laughs> I'm glad you actually they worked out for you. Yeah. It's, you know, broke, uh, broke clock is uh, right twice a day, right? <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right, Bruce, I'm going to shut up now. You got, you go ahead. Uh, well, I guess we'd start with uh, Pete. Like, why? So we're doing Shrek retold from yes. i guess why do you hate us so much yeah no <laughs> <laughs> so what what why 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 is this happening yeah so you know i i i, I look up to you guys in in your movie watching endeavors because like there's there's people like like joe bridge joe bridges and uh, matt stillman that are like i i don't know if i've ever i can name a movie uh, like a classic movie that they haven't seen it's unbelievable and that's ex- it's really exciting there's so much like blind spots in my in the, the classic world that I know I'm guilty of, and I it's it's a great thing because I get to discover these fantastic movies constantly over and over again. It's it's and seen for the first time. Um, but then modern movies, I know you guys cover a ton of modern movies too. So I had to go, ironically, outside of the box to find something <laughs> to put in the box, and this was a fan made art collective which i thought i figured at, at the very least uh you know bruce would think that this is a, an ambitious ridiculous like one line idea what if we what if we brought a hundred people in to make 20 second increments of one of the most memed movies ever to you know hit the silver screen and you get some really cool stuff and you're like is that is that like gravity falls is that like you know, Adventure Time people. Oh, I saw the Churchleys guys were in there. You know, and it's like you see some legitimately good stuff, and then someone, <laughs> someone <laughs> who's literally like reading off of a script, or you know, has the guy who is the puppet is. Oh God, I love him. Doing the hot swinging Hallelujah is. <laughs> Got the rap in the middle for no reason. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, they had everything yeah. in the movie for no reason. That's <laughs> kind of the point. Yeah, and I was like, I was almost, I was thinking to myself, I, I have to, I'm going to try to, um suggest something that you guys haven't seen before and then at least be interesting um that you'll remember so i think this fits the bill it definitely fits the bill um so for people don't quite understand it's like the entire movie of shrek moment for moment beginning to end including music but told in increments of well what would you say like some of them are like only a few seconds some of them maybe two or three minutes but they're all different artists, different. And like you said, you might have one that's like legitimately well animated or maybe stop motion animated. And then the next one, some guy with a vaguely green cap on what running around a circle with his dog or something, you know, and it's like his dog is the oh. dragon or. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's, I mean, there's, there's stuff from, um, there's little, um, like stick puppets, like, mm-hmm. like just literally drawn out paper and uh, paper cutouts of like Shrek and donkey on a popsicle stick and they're running down the, you can see a person's hand moving it up and down like an old school, like puppet play. And some of them are like 3d animated, very crude. Some of them are 3d animated, very good. Some of them, they actually use stills from the movie and then just clip the guy's head over top of it for Fiona's head and the other one for Shrek's head. Oh yeah. And 
there is, or they'll just put their mouth in it and cut out the mouth and just have them talking. Yeah. And then inherently the stuff that I don't like about this movie are the people that are like, isn't this funny how little we tried? It's like, I, I don't like that part of it. You know, it's like Shrek is a amorphous green glob floating in a transparent, you know, neo fluorescent sky that you can't even understand what he's saying. And you're like, okay, that's not even, that's not even interesting. But if you don't like it, wait 20 seconds, you'll get another animator, another creator. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I like Shrek. We, we watch Shrek a lot of my house. So <laughs> when, uh, I, cause when Bruce told me that we we're doing Shrek retold, I was like, well, which one's that? Is that like the fourth one or <laughs> it's, the it's like one. It's like, and then he described it. And I was like, Oh, okay. That's like the, they had the, my Robocop movie. Which yes. I think they did pretty much the same thing. Like they did Robocop with like, like it, uh, 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 John Watts, the, the guy that did cop car and yeah, then clown. fell off the face of the face of the earth after that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't think but, he made anything after that. No, no, <laughs> not anything good anyway, but, uh, he, uh, uh, like he, he did that, that, uh, my ro- a part of that, my Robocop movie, which was he, kind of the same, same deal. Um, you see the whole movie, the fan movie. Yeah. Well, no. Okay. No, but yeah, I saw only, a bunch of different parts. Of, and I the only part I remember of that is when he shoots him in the dick. I was just gonna say that's the only the scene I remember. And they shoots him in the dick like a hundred times. It's the yeah, it's the the like the sexual assault scene where Robocop saves the girl and shoots through her skirt and shoots the guy through her. But there's like a hundred assault sexual assaults happening, or there potentially there's people just like walking like zombies towards her with their dicks out and then robocop just keeps shooting them in the dick <laughs> it's it's one of the most ridiculous and hilarious clips i've ever seen but one of the one of the things um with this one that uh, i found completely obnoxious was uh it reminded me of uh my niece and nephews like to watch uh youtube videos mm-hmm. um and they like to turn the volume all the way up with no bass. So it's very <laughs> loud and very kind of clangy sounding. There's a lot of that in here. Yeah. Um, and it just kind of, I, I was kind of getting uh, PTSD. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I was watching it and I, I almost went downstairs to tell them to turn it down and realize, oh, wait, no, I'm watching. That's oh, me. <laughs> Did you, you have headphones on when you're watching? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's that always. makes it worse. I always have headphones on when I'm watching everything. (laughs) So I don't know. That's just me. Um, I would say like one thing that's kind of interesting to me to actually take it somewhat seriously. This is like the epitome of what boomers like love and also hate about younger generations, right? They would see this and be like, this is exactly what I hate. Look at this. Just low, short attention span, garbage, blah, blah, blah. But it's also like, if you look at it, you can really see the 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 love of like do it yourself creativity and just the democratize like everyone can make art and you know what I mean and like some of it is terrible to you but like you said you know two more minutes later there's something that like is actually genuinely like creative and amazing or just so trippy that you're like how in the hell did they come up with that so I kind of love it for that kind of sake just just, just seeing what you can do now you couldn't have done this mm-hmm. 30 years 30 years ago nothing like it like you would have had to literally have people with their own vcrs and then have someone to edit it together or something <laughs> i don't know how you'd even do it you know yeah i think it's uh i've never been to a, a legit film festival before just like student film fests and things but it's almost like you go to a film festival for shorts and you might blow through i don't know 
know, eight, 10 shorts in a short sitting, you know, before you get up and, you know, go have a snack break or something. Right. And five of them may be complete garbage. Two of them may be like unwatchable. And then you'll find two or three gems in there. This, I feel like this, there's a lot of that in this. The closest that I could come to pre YouTube era would have been, if you've ever heard of it. And I think Eric probably has heard of this. Maybe Greg too. They used to have spike and Mike's. Um, sick and, oh, sick and, and, sick and yeah. twisted yeah. film yeah. festival or whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah. And they would come around every year and it would be all these weird, crazy underground, like alternative shorts and stuff. And I think that's where like um, the original South Park spirit of Christmas would be there and stuff like that. Now where liquid television came from. Probably some I of it. Cause it would that, be all yeah. these underground and like alternative and also um, fringe uh, artists would do stuff there. Cause it would be stuff you couldn't play in like a normal you know, setting. You couldn't play it before any regular film. I think that was like mid nineties ish, right around there. Yeah. Like Ren and Stimpy era when our parents Mm -hmm. were just like, yeah, this is okay to show to children. Yeah. (laughs) They thought it was. (laughs) One of the cool things I like about this though, is that it's, uh, so I checked IMDb. It's, it just has one director listed. So I I don't know exactly. This clearly wasn't of one mind. Um, No, but um, I like how it's kind of uh, like we could do this sure. like uh, uh, for like we, we could t- here. Here's 20 seconds. Do this 20 seconds. However, you want to do it. Mm-hmm. However good you want to do it. However bad you want to do it. But it, it, it almost makes it accessible to where it's like, oh, yeah, I, I couldn't do a full Shrek movie. That probably take too much work. But yeah, I, I could probably knock out 30, 20, 30 seconds. And it's it's got kind of it, it's almost like inspiring in a in a strange way. Yeah, yeah. It makes you feel. Go ahead, Greg. What are you gonna say? I was gonna I was gonna joke that I no that's not a joke. I was gonna say I'm pretty good at knocking it out in twenty or thirty seconds. So, <laughs> and, there it is. Um, there it is. There it is. But Pete, going to you is is this a movie that you would recommend? Even with all those you know minutes here, that's not so good for the gem. That kind of thing. Yeah. That ratio. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. It's like. Well, and here's the caveat. To, here's the caveat to that. Find your film uh, mainstay <laughs> caveat. Thank you, thank you. Um, is you have to have seen Shrek. So if you're watching it and you're like, "What is this? I mean, what is? What are they even doing? Where's the story? This like it makes no sense." You have to have like the the base that is Shrek, which we can argue that our entire civilization is is only gotten worse since Shrek came out. But <laughs> it's it is like the standard of uh, this like weird. Um, this generation's adult animation geared towards children. I remember when Check first came out and it was like um, this weird cultural icon where it's like, no, 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 this is not like a kid's movie. I mean, it is a kid's movie, but it's not it's not really a kid's movie. Like you'll find a lot of funny stuff in it. And looking back at it now and rewatching it now, it's like, that's not not edgy at all. It felt very edgy at, at the time. And now now it's it's so much more. But it's grown into this weird phenomenon and this weird like cultural icon, and there's so many ridiculous memes about it that you have to have seen it. I'd almost even say like once or t- at least like two or three times to really get the impact and be like, okay, this is this scene because when you're watching it, you're like, oh, this is the part where the bird explodes, and it's a weird like MIDI digital sound thing, and it, the animation is sucks on her, but the audio part is pretty cool, and you're just waiting for the bird to explode. And they cut away and you're like, oh, I wish they would have, I wanted to see them explode the bird, you know? So it's almost like there's an expectation built into each scene that gets subverted every time that it's done in a different animation style. And just seeing 
like the um the battle scene when Farquaad is is giving the the um the marching orders to all the knights saying, you know, you guys will fight each other and whoever wins goes and saves my Fiona. And you get this like crazy anime sh- Shrek as an anime and it's like all the anime tropes and he's like, you fool. <laughs> yeah. And then he flips around and fights everybody and Donkey takes down the the guy and it's I don't know, it's it's like that animation style I've seen a million times, but I've never never seen Shrek as a samurai or as a anime protagonist. So it's like it, it is so fun and it is absolutely worth it. It's this is kind of a party movie too where you could just put it on. Yes. Put it on, people could come and go and be like, "What the hell is this?" Oh, that's funny and then go off to the other room, you know. I also think that it's like uh, if this isn't for you, um, you could probably watch like the first two minutes and go, "Okay, I get it." And then, like, if you you can watch the rest if you want, but if you if you skip out on it, then it, it, at least they'll know what what it's uh, getting at. But to your point of watching the original Shrek, though, um, one of the uh, cool things and I guess kind of frustrating things is like uh, I'll watch a, there was a scene where the animation looked kind of like Ren and Stimpy or uh, yeah. that, that kind of animation. I think it was in the dragon. That part is inside Shrek's house right before he like goes outside and freaks out on all the fairy creatures. Well, he kind of goes in like this blob and slurps around. Oh, that everywhere. one. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's kind of gross. Mm-hmm. But I'm watching that going, Oh, they should use this part for the Fiona fight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just like her, like on top of your wall. Or you know whatever fucking gross noises the guy going on, but like mm-hmm. just seeing like different different filmmaking styles, and then you see the part that they're doing, but then if you know the Shrek movie, it's like I wonder what that would look like if mm-hmm. they got to do that that other part instead of this one. So it kind of captures the imagination in a weird way in that sense too. I have to imagine that all the different content creators probably because so the, the whole thing was organized by. Uh, it was it was played at Shrekfest every year, and Shrekfest is a like a like almost like an anime convention, but just for Shrek. Everybody dresses up; they wear the brown half shirt vest, and it's a whole thing. It's almost like a gathering of the Juggalos, but less offensive. And uh, I don't know, <laughs> <laughs> less Fago at least. But there's um, it's it was shown at Shrekfest, and I think they'd planned it for like two years prior to that. And it, there was a, an animation studio that kind of spearheaded the whole thing, and they got. I think that the the band that plays the uh, closing sequence music, I think it's called Hot Dad. They do I'm a Believer in a really cool like retro synth wave sort of yeah. style. Yeah, that was and really good. I want to. In fact, not yeah. to cut you off again, but uh, both ver- no Smash Mouth. No, already makes it better than Shrek. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Smash Mouth covers were pretty cool. <laughs> But I, I think that they, they organized all that. And I have to imagine all the people that were participated in each segment were in the, in the ones that were actually trying. The goal was to be noticed. And it's like, this is a really interesting. Pro- it's almost like Kung Fury. You know, make mm-hmm. something funky with your friends, put it on YouTube, and it gains this gathering. And then I could parlay that into something else. Whoever made Kung Fury, I don't know the guy's name, but I'll watch whatever he makes next. You know, if, if the people who made. Mm, Let's see what segment was really interesting. Um, they had this really weird, like sort of buddy romance sort of thing with a great 2D cell animation style in the middle when Fiona and Shrek are kind of frolicking and it had a cool jingle that went along just with that one scene. I was like, wow, whoever made this is pro. 
And I hope that they make something else and I would watch whatever they make next. So I think that was the goal with all these content creators besides doing something that they like, even if it's for a joke. Okay, so that is a recommend recommendation, but from Peter Beta, Shrek oh, yeah. retold. Bruce and Eric, your final judgment on this is a solid recommendation for both of you as well. That's not a solid recommend. It's a uh, curious recommend for sure. Um, but yeah, did, did, just put it on. Uh, if you're two minutes in and you get the point and you want to bail, then yeah, go ahead. Uh, if you're two minutes in and you're like, what other weird shit am I going to see? Then keep going because it, it'll keep coming. Yeah, and I, I think that's exactly right. Like if it kind of hits your vibe and you're, you're vibing on it, keep watching. It's also, I think, absolutely what Pete said, which is party movie. Like this is something you could be on. You could dip in and out of like while you're talking to people and drinking and having a good time and catch three minutes here and three minutes there and, and still enjoy the heck out of it because you already know the base content of it as well. So absolutely. I got to throw the obvious question out there, though. So let's say we're we're spearheading another movie like this or like the My Robocop movie. What what what's the movie you guys are picking? Oh gosh. Besides I... Debbie Does Dallas. I am already picking that. <laughs> yeah. But besides that. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Probably... So I think it's got to be something iconic that everyone has as a common ground. So it's got to either be something like uh like Big Lebowski or maybe um The Dark Knight maybe would be a really good one. That'd be interesting. Um Something, something, I like the idea of something really serious because then if you did something really serious and you had all these weird versions of it animated, that could be really fun. So something like The Dark Knight could be really fun, I like think. Bad Luck Banging or Looney Porn? Oh, yeah, that's a great one. Did you ever get around Lots to seeing Bad Luck Banging or Looney Porn? You know, you, know, you know what? I haven't. And and I'll tell you this I know it's Romanian. <laughs> My roommate that we, we've uh, affectionately nicknamed uh, Producer Justice who literally does zero producing on our podcast. He's just sitting in the room sometimes when we're recording. So anytime I have to look up something and we're like, what year did that come out? You know, and we move on to another conversation, I'll just Google it. And then I get the answer. I'm like, Oh, producer justice just sent me a message. It's uh, <laughs> thank you. Producer justice. And he's Romanian. And I told him, Hey, you want to watch this Romanian movie? He's like, no, I don't think that's going to be good. He doesn't know anything about it. He's like, I, <laughs> I don't think it's going to be good. So. <laughs> yeah. In all fairness, I think it's. I, I think me and Anderson are the only ones within our whole universe who actually really digs that movie. Um, you know what? To, to be honest, I, Bruce and Eric, uh, listeners, they really listen to middle class film class a lot. When I get the chance to actually listen to middle class film class, the thing I really like about you guys, I, and I'm, and I go back to the your discussion of uh, the worst person in the world. It, Pete, do you like it? The fact that you and Tyler and, and Joseph, you're just so different in your approaches to reviewing the film. Is it, did you already know that from the get-go that each of you would take different tracks when you review the films? Because I think when someone listens to your your podcast, they get a real deep dive and different just vantage angles on what the movie's about. And it, and it gets personal sometimes too. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I like getting personal with stuff. I'm a I'm an open book, and I think that's a genera- generational thing too. Like on my first date with Brianna, who's the love of my life, we've been... Uh, together for like six years and we may as well be married and um our first date we went over all of our like emotional hang-ups i was like first off i have a crippling food addiction so you're gonna have to deal with that and she's like okay i am a have anxiety and depression and blah 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 and that was like a first date conversation so that's not uncommon to get into some really personal stuff but like we've had i had um one of the thing, one of the episodes, one of my favorite episodes of our show was uh, we did ET was my pick, 
I was traumatized as a child watching this. I was three, four years old when I was shown it. Way too young. The creature design scared the hell out of me. And every time, my parents would watch it all the time. And I would be in the room like, and then I have nightmares for weeks. And it was like, my mom thought I loved it for some reason. So she bought me E.T. doll and put it in my room when I was at school. <laughs> and I came back and I'm like, ah! And that was still to like this day, up to a year ago, I'd see a picture of it scrolling through Facebook and they would just see it. And I'm like, ugh, and I like it. So I put E.T. on the wheel to watch it to conquer my fears. I never, never watched it as an adult. And I called my mom on the show and confronted her about my childhood trauma. <laughs> and she said, I had no idea. I thought you loved that little thing. I'm like, no, mom, I'm going to send you my therapist bill. Um, so, you know, we, we like going into the personal stuff and the three of us are very different. Tyler is, he's different than most people. He's on another planet. He lives, he doesn't breathe the same like air that we do. He breathes mostly American spirits and uh, you know, grape flavored vape, you know, so, <laughs> and Joseph, Joseph, the, the two of them are vegan. I'm, I'm not. And, uh, Joseph has a, he went to film school and I'm just like a, a dope who fixes cars for a living and watches a lot of movies. So we all have a very different takes on things and we just did come and see. Yes. Was very excited to see what the two of them thought about it. And Joseph almost gave it like a D minus because of the ethics of how the movie was made. He's a very like ethically based person. And I was like, kind of surprised, but also kind of not surprised at that. And it was like, uh, I got to respect that. So there is, it, it is fun to sh shoot the shit with the guys. Um, and we, we've been friends in real life for many, many years. So it's, it's a good time. It gives us a reason to hang out too. Is a come and see discussion. Does it get heated? Because the movie, it's, I mean, Bruce is just so passionate about this film and the filmmaker and, you know, it does it does it get really deep with with this whole thing with these kind of different opinions? Um, yeah, I mean, it there there were some points when, you know, the thing is that I can we all kind of respect each other's opinion, and um, you know, music was another movie that we had some kind of differing opinions on, oh, and that was wow. a, such a crazy movie. And they're both Joseph's wife works with um, de developmentally disabled children in school, so she has a kind of a foothold into it, much like Anderson does. And, um, and she's watching this and she's kind of our inside track for a lot of these. And we all watched it together as a group, uh, Joseph and myself and, and Deanna and Tyler watched it by himself. But, um, yeah, that the come and see got a little, a little deep. Um, not, we don't get angry at each other unless we can tell that Tyler actually didn't watch the movie and he's just bullshitting. <laughs> like, Did you even watch this? What are you talking about? <laughs> and that happens more often than not. <laughs> Yeah. Bruce and Eric, you have any more questions before we get out of here to, to our buddy? Yes. Okay. What color are your pants? And can you show us? I'm wearing a... Oh, look <laughs> at that. Look at the... <laughs> yes. Gray. I was going to guess underwear, but I thought underwear, shorts, <laughs> definitely not pants, pants. You are lucky I'm even wearing pants right now. Or maybe not lucky. <laughs> what about you, Bruce? Good question. Uh, my final question is, what's going back into the box for you? Oh, very good. Oh boy! What's coming? <laughs> this back should not have been a surprise. So you should know it shouldn't have been. It, I have a you know. Let me see. Let me look at my over here. Um, <laughs> I have a I have a movie list on my phone for like wheels wheel movies. Yeah. Uh, let's see Very if I have cool. anything in the movie wheel list. Um, let's do Miami Connection. Nineteen eighty seven. Nineteen eighty seven. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this one has. 
a very large percentage of five stars and a very large percentage of one. Yeah, star. I've heard about this. Is a, this is like one of those red letter media kind of ones. <laughs> oh, the, yeah, like Canon awesome. films or something. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Samurai Cop era. <laughs> very oh, good. And before we go, Pete, can you just tell our listeners where they can find you? Because you guys are. I mean, I. They can find some of your stuff on YouTube, the video stuff. Then you guys are killing it on TikTok and the reels on IG with just different kind of formats and commentaries. Can you tell our listeners about that? Sure. Yeah. Joseph recently got us into TikTok. He's tag- tagging into the Zoomer generation. Um, and uh, I don't I don't have anything to do with that. But on middle, uh, it's uh, Instagram and TikTok. It's middle class film class on Twitter. Um, it's probably best you just follow me on Twitter. It's um, the real Pete with four E's in the middle, P E E E T E, and um, if you just go to our show notes um, on the uh, on the podcast player, all the stuff's in there, or you can just hit the website mcfcpodcast.com. and um, yeah, look us up. If you haven't already been beaten over the head with ads on <laughs> at this at this point from us, uh, you know, just give us give us a shot. We're uh, it's a lot of fun. It's we don't take ourselves very seriously, and we try to keep it pretty light and funny. Eric, before we go, do you want you, do you have Pete? To, do you want Pete to drop some audio beats on us or what? Is that yeah, that that, that that was my last question. <laughs> I, you're, you're known as a wonderful musician. Every sure. week you come on our show, and we're always having you drop beats, and you're just you're just killing it on the on the drums there. Okay. Um, how how long have you been how long have you been performing live? Uh, performing live on this uh, soundboard for about two and a half years now. <laughs> <laughs> but I do play the trombone and most stringed instruments. <laughs> very, very, very good. I have a ukulele and a banjo hanging in my music room downstairs that I can play a little of, and um, I'm okay on guitar. But I'm I'm better at I'm better at the sound drops. Bullshit artist. <laughs> <laughs> so the greasy strangler himself. You gonna go on? Uh, you gonna take your band on tour anytime soon? Yeah, it's uh, uh, John Denver and the Beaver Brown Gang. Where we're, we're opening for them, and Dirty Yellow Hammer is our our, our closing act. Sweet. <laughs> well, thank you, Mister Beta, for joining us on Find Your Film. Really appreciate your discussion of Shrek retold. One of these days, I'll watch it. Yeah, I I encourage you to do it. Just put it on when you go to sleep and wake up a new man. <laughs> Bruce, you want to say anything, or Eric, before Pete goes? Thank you, Pete. Thank you, Pete. And also, Pete. Yeah. Pete. Yeah. I would love you to say, Yo, Greg, drop that name. (laughs) Yo, Greg, drop that name. I know you're scared and you want to go home. I'll take you home soon. Sister, I got to be upstairs for a while. Something's come up. What? Never mind what. Someone's coming. I'll scream. If someone's upstairs, they'll hear me. With the door shut, no one can hear anything down here. I soundproofed it myself. So shout if you like, you won't bother anyone. If you try to touch me, I'll scratch your face. And whoever's coming will see and ask why. This face. Hello, you're listening to Find Your Film After Dark. My name's Eric, and I'm here with Bruce Berkey. And today, we're going to talk about the movie, The Black Phone, and the Joe Hill book, or short story, The Black Phone, and kind of compare and contrast the two. Um, 
I think we talked a little bit about the little bit about the movie on the podcast, but we didn't really get into it too much. I don't think. Um, so we'll do a little bit of that. Uh, but this is mostly going to be spoilers so that, you know, when you talk about a movie and compare it to the book, you know, <laughs> you kind of got to talk about some things. Um, now the book, uh, real quick is a short story from a compilation called 20th century ghosts, uh, by Joe Hill, uh, Stephen King's son. And, uh, think i I could be wrong i think the 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 black phone originally appeared in like uh something else i can't i can't remember what wikipedia said but um since the movie's out you can probably go to a bookstore and then just look uh look it it probably says the black phone and it's like a full-size book but it's gonna have a bunch of short stories in it because the black phone is quite short i listened to the audio the audio book and I don't know that it's an official audiobook. I think it's just someone on YouTube, a woman on YouTube, just reading it on her YouTube channel. And it's about like, it's less than an hour. It's like 50 minutes or so. And I got to say, she's got a pretty good voice for the book. So it was a very enjoyable listening to her read it. Um, but there's a setup. I will get, <laughs> we'll move it on to Bruce. So I'm not talking all the time. But uh, uh, I, I guess let's start off with uh, what you think of the movie? Yeah, so I like the movie quite a bit. I think we both like the movie quite a bit. Uh, yeah. We we talked about it in general terms and, and recommended it on the podcast uh, a couple weeks ago. As we're speaking, I think it's either mostly out of the theater or almost out of the theater. But I saw recently a, a little news report or something coming up that it's going to be streaming either video on demand or maybe even on a service soon. So this will still work for people to uh, to to probably hopefully if nothing else hop on board when it's available to you know rent video streaming uh, definitely I think we'd both agree it's worth it for that uh, it's really fun to see in the theater honestly but that may not be an option at the point that you hear this or it may be almost not an option so hop on that if you can um, I also listened to the same version of the short story on YouTube that you did. So I have the exact same context. Um, I didn't look up where this was published as a short story first. My guess is if it was like the history of Stephen King, I'm wondering if it was published in a magazine of some sort or possibly an online forum of some sort, maybe it, it shows on the, it shows on the Wikipedia when it's got the list of the, uh, all the books in 20th century ghosts um, to the right of that. It shows where it was first published. And it's like the third, the third something I, I I can't remember the third paper third I, I I should probably just look this thing up because I'm yeah. gonna be kicking myself but go, go ahead I'll look this up sure. real quick. So while he looks that up, uh, I mean the basic concept if for people who've obviously watched it or if you haven't watched it, uh, you've got this uh, in the movie at least you have a character called the Grabber who is uh, kidnapping and murdering children. And our main character, uh, Finney, is the newest uh, captee of this guy, and he's stuck in this basement. And that's kind of the basis of both the short story and the movie. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit about the differences in it. Uh, in the, well, in the short story, we kind of have a big chunk of the movie is the short story. But then the movie expands on that universe, I would say, a fair amount, whereas the short story is essentially the Finney character, the Grabber character, and a couple of things surrounding that, 
and how he will or won't escape the clutches of this, you know, evil killer and what it's, what's his predicament and how it's going to pro play out from that point. I just looked it up. It, it came out in 2004, the third alternative number 39. I'm assuming that means like the 39th edition or whatever. But uh, to your point about the uh, movie versus book. Yeah. Ev- everything in the short story is in the movie. And uh, like you say, it just expands on it. And I think that, I think that's why I like the movie better. Cause I, I did enjoy the short story. Um, like one of the main major differences was the uh the sister character she was mentioned in this story but she actually had a character like a full fleshed out character in this like she was like the second lead pretty much or third lead um the cops looking for him you know the the stuff that goes on out like in the short story mostly seems to just take place in the basement where the movie kind of expands past that and then oh where where'd he go you know where uh let you know the cops are looking for him she's got some dream connection i I think they mentioned a dream connection in the short story i can't remember what i remember in the short story and correct me too if i'm wrong on here is the short story you essentially have a scene that is played out in the movie but that's about all we have of her which is her riding around these neighborhoods trying to see if she can sense where he's at and i think it's during that sequence in the short story that we essentially get these really quick snippets of all of the the boys who have died so far. Yeah. Like and it, and it's not like them communicating necessarily, it's just like what happened, like a brief glimpses of who they were and what happened to them and how they disappeared so that when we do get contact later in the story, we kind of have a context for that and we also have the idea that people are out looking for him and that there's this kind of connection with the sister. But you're right, in the movie and I and I think a lot of people have agreed, even people who didn't like the movie as much as I think both you and I did, a lot of people have really commented on how much they liked the little sister character. And she is really, yeah, like you said, she's like a third lead. Really, the, the relationship between the two of them and the way they both manifest these powers and the way they both are kind of dealing with levels of abuse and violence in the outside world are, is kind of key to the movie version of this, yeah. I think. One of the things of the movie that worried me that didn't really get me hyped to watch it um, was the mask. Cause it looked like mm-hmm. it was just a uh, excuse for Ethan Hawke to like mug in the mask. Like, Ooh, look how crazy I am. Right. Um, but uh, the, uh, actually I think the, the most iconic thing in the movie uh, other than the mask and probably the phone is the van. Cause they did a really Scott Derrickson did a really great job of always having that van in the background. Kids walk in and then you see the, you know, no context, just that van creeping in the background. It's like, something's going on. And then they had, uh, you know, the, the kid doesn't get captured right away. You know, so like there's other kids and they kind of, uh, they kind of lean in on that. This is a good example of um, usually when someone adapts a story, they'll add things to it that, are kind of superficial. I think all the stuff they added to this, like really expanded the world, created a sense of dread, um, really did a great job of, uh, of uh, you know, it, it feels like the time that's set in, you know, I, I, I live in Colorado now. I didn't grow up in Colorado in the seventies. I was in Omaha, but uh, you know, it, it, it had, it had a, a 
uh, feel of the time. And I think uh, it did a real good job of, um, you know, with, with the, with the uh, uh, setting up the Ethan Hawke's character, the grabber character. So when he yeah. does finally show up, the danger is like palpable. It, you, you know, you punch right through it if you wanted to. Um, well, yeah, no, I agree. I think it does. And, and this is, um, I was going to mention a few things about that too. I agree. Absolutely. What it does is a couple things. It shows you, first of all, that the whole town is kind of on edge. And I think what it does is it, it this is what does the opposite of stranger things in a lot of ways. And, and stranger things has its own kind of pluses and minuses, but stranger things like heavily just builds these really obvious uh, you know, member berries throughout. Right. And I think this did a better job of kind of creating a sense of a time and place. And like you said, you weren't in Colorado then, but we have that kind of seventies serial, serial killers are around and ever present in the society at that time. It's and and they are like kind of the boogeyman for people in general. I mean, I lived in the Northwest when they had the green river killer and Ted Bundy yeah. at the time. And um, it was just kind of this, always this thing, like there could be a weirdo around the corner. And I think that that is really well set up. And then I think the other thing that I had mentioned before is this sets up a, a world that is violent towards them. Like okay. every place, every place that they go is unsafe. So it almost makes, it, it does a weird thing. It, it almost makes the killer in some degrees less unique for their lives but it also it makes it it almost accentuates the danger because you've already seen how dangerous just their ordinary lives are. So you're wondering well, what the hell is this guy going to do? You know what I mean? Yeah. Another thing was uh, kind of creepy is the fact that uh, they introduce his brother. Yeah. Uh, they don't introduce his brother as his brother right away. Um, he's just some guy who's like, uh, yeah, we're looking for a killer. And he's like, oh yeah, me too. Come on in. Let me show you all like. <laughs> And they're like yes. about that they point to the cocaine <laughs> he's like oh yeah no don't worry about that but uh the the idea that um all this because then later on they show that they're living together and he's got this kid locked like he's looking he's actively you know searching for the killer and kind of uh uh what do you call it the crazy guy um the grabber no the conspiracy theory He's got kind oh, of a yeah, conspiracy yeah, yeah. theory kind of uh, bent to him. And uh, he's, he's looking. He's kind of got paranoia, drug fueled paranoia combined with conspiracy theories, you yeah. know? So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but it's happening right under his nose. Right. And, and so, even even that little that little kind of detail is just adds that little extra creepiness. It's like, you think you're safe in your house. You could have like a kid chained up in your basement and have no idea. Like, yeah, and and that works two ways because that works really well as far as like the whole like dangers everywhere and you might be paranoid, but I also could be right, you know, that kind of thing. And yeah. the other way it works is there's like at least two, and I think this is one of them, two things that are kind of hearkening slightly to Silence of the Lambs. And I think it's not the basement part, but the part in Silence of the Lambs where I guess we're double spoiling things, where you think oh, we're it's spoiling the, the shit out of yeah, <laughs> where you think <laughs> if you haven't seen it or read it, just just move on <laughs> where you think they found Buffalo Bill and they bust in on that house and they bust in and it's there and you don't, and the, the movie is misdirecting you so that until they bust in and it's not the right house, you don't understand till that moment 
that, oh shit, Starling's at the right house and they're at the wrong house. And this does that kind of twice because it shows you, you know, them going to his house, the correct house. They find the brother. They don't know if they have the correct house and they leave. So that's a little Silence of the Lambs and also a little um, Jeffrey Dahmer. Right, there's that whole thing with Jeffrey Dahmer where they had them and they give the kid back to him. Uh, that was kind of horrible. And then the second thing is at the end of this movie where you, they are busting into the house and you think they're busting into the right house and they're actually busting into the house across the street, which is just where he keeps the bodies. And that was a, a really nice little misdirect yeah. too as well. Yeah. I, I, actually, that was kind of a, a weird one. Just like this um, – the how – how you would like the the weird thing is I can buy that someone lives in the house with that going on and not know what's going on. Right. But for some reason, like that he would buy a house across the street. Like how dense is his brother? (laughs) Yeah. I kind of wondered about that too. I think that was probably the most hard for me to get rid of was the, the brother not having any clue. And I think the idea is they're trying to tell us that he hasn't been there the whole time. Well, not, not even yeah. that he didn't have a clue. Like, I, I get that he doesn't, you know, uh, I just don't go in the basement. Like, you know, there's right. part, there's parts of my house I don't go into because, like, you know, this maze room, I you know, I don't need to go in there. For all I know, she could be, you know, having sick dogs in there, like, just keeping them barely alive. That's dark. And I'm not going to go into that. <laughs> but, I mean, okay. that's a very real thing. That could, very specific thought, but go yeah, ahead. <laughs> that, that could be a thing that's happening. I, I would have no idea. I think... Ha- my sister owning a house across the street or next door. That's, that's a tough thing to keep from people. Um, right. But you know, it's, it, it's, it, it's also a story about a, uh, uh, phone that, uh, with dead kids that right. <laughs> dead victims. So, you know, well, kind of let stuff like that go. As a writer though, you could think they could easily get away with it by saying something like that's a house has been, been vacant and uninhabited for a year, yeah. years or two. They could do also, something like that. Also, the 70s, you just, can get away with a lot of stuff like back yeah. in the day that you can't get away with today. Well, that's true too. But I mean, you could have kind of explained it away in another way that would be a little more plausible. Maybe you still have to have a little bit of suspension of disbelief, but a little less. Yeah. Um Now, the one other thing, but we probably should talk about though, the biggest, biggest difference, I think other than what we've already talked about would be the amount the amount of contact he has with the different dead kids. I think that's a pretty big difference between the short story and the, the movie. Did you not agree? Um, so I remember the, the grabber or the, the main character, the, kid. the main character, the amount the yeah. kids, I think in the, yeah, because uh, I, as I recall in the story, the previous kids that were kidnapped are brought up. Kind of right. almost like a news flash or impact. Oh, old old Timmy got taken a week ago, and that's pretty much. But like in this, they actually have relation. At least he has relationships with one kid in particular. Um, uh, actually, a couple of them. The the one was a bully to him, and he got taken. He's like, "Fuck him, good job." <laughs> right. Which you know. If you're a kid, you probably do that. Uh, if you're an adult, you'd be a dickhead for saying that, <laughs> no matter how big the dickhead kid is. But uh, yeah, they, they, I mean, this is, uh, who's the, who was the writers on this? I, I know Scott uh, Derrickson directed it. Says, it. Uh, well, Joe Hill, of course, Scott Derrickson and C. Robert Cargill. Okay. This, this movie, I think, is pretty much textbook on if you're going to adapt something, this is how you do it. 
Yeah. Because they didn't add, oh, let's add, uh, let's give them a dog. Why? Because, you know, audiences like dogs. It's like, okay, we're just going to super free. Like all the stuff they added to the story, uh, expanded on it, made yep. it better. Um, they, they added stuff that, in, that uh, help the characters, you know, help you feel for the characters and understand the characters. And that's not usually a thing Hollywood movies do with adaptations. And so that I really wanted to put a point on that because I think this movie does that really well. I agree. And also I think what it does, what we've mentioned a couple of times is that um, if you have a short story, which is obviously very focused and is presenting this kind of this tone and this version of a world, this movie basically goes, well, what does the town of that world look like? You know, and how does the town kind of uh, am, or I don't know, ac- accentuate or represent all of those things that you're seeing kind of crystallized in that little room, which I think that is what it does as well, too. It all yeah. seems tonally and uh, metaphorically and thematically consistent, I think, to the short story. Yeah. It, it, um, it's like they learned all the right lessons from Summer of Sam. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then the thing, so the thing I was getting back to with the boys is so, Remind me if I'm wrong about this, but in the short story, he essentially gets mostly contacted by the one boy, the the baseball kid, uh, which I think is Bruce. Am I right? Is it, yeah. Is it my, I think it is Bruce. Yeah. And it, he gets, I, you would know. Yeah. <laughs> and I think he gets told uh, like how to, you know, pack the phone with dirt and all this stuff. And yeah. that's like his final clue to how to kill the grabber. But I like how in the movie, uh, and then some people don't, probably don't like this, but I actually really liked it. it. To me, it added a whole level to that escape. And that was... How each um, each kid kind of contacts him with a different piece of information, and most of them fail as individual ways of escaping, but they all end up creating this giant, like unknown, complex set of 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 situations. So that when he does have to actually go after the grabber, like all of the places are all the pieces are in place from the different kids. Yeah. So this kind of becomes this almost. I, Rube Goldberg sort of trap that he's created <laughs> without knowing it. And I yeah. think some people will probably find that kind of corny. I, I really dug it. I really enjoyed it. I, th- I think the only thing I thought that was corny was it pretty much everything about the mask. Um, but especially at the end where he pulls the mask off and then even the house starts flipping out like, Oh, my mask. I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, that's kind of, I, I didn't feel they, of, of all the things this movie did, right. That was the one thing that just seemed yeah. like a trope that wasn't really earned. But I, agree. I, I, I guess agree. the I guess the um in 20th century ghosts, one of the short stories is my father's mask. And I I didn't read that one yet. Um, but it sounds like it might be a prequel of sorts to hmm. the black I phone. Um I I don't know if it's it, it might not be a prequel at all. I I just read the little synopsis they had on it, but it was uh um if it's what I think it is, it sounds like I mean Fuck, I shouldn't even talk about it. Just what I suspect it is, is maybe um, why that mask means something to him. Or maybe it's just like a kind of like a Fargo and the simple plan where they're kind of they're kind of sequels, but not really. You know, maybe it's one of those things or maybe something entirely different. And I'm talking out of my ass, which I completely am. And, and I don't know the answer to that, but I know that as I was watching the movie and the mask thing was coming up, I wish it would have. I can mostly read it as the way I thought it was, but the thing you're talking about at the end 
goes against that. I wish it would gone with what I considered the whole way around was, which was basically he used the mask as a dual thing, like a way to kind of scare the kid yeah. and to keep changing it to kind of scare the kid, but also to show kind of where he was at. Like I'm in my happy mode. I'm going to put on my happy yeah. face or I'm going to, I'm mad or I'm, you know, kind of in a weird schizophrenic spot. So I'm going to have half my mask on or whatever, but I didn't think it seemed consistent that he would, if it came off of his face, he would go crazy. Like, oh no, you can't see me or whatever it is. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. The, I think the, it, they, it's, didn't it's, really, they didn't really set that up. I saw it really as more as a, a messed up tool for him. And I think that works better in the story too, because you see him constantly doing that sort of thing where he's doing these things like, hey, I'm going to leave the door open, you know, and you know, that's a trap or, hey, I'm giving you food. Was there something in it? No, why would I need to do that? I've got you. You know, there's a lot of little things where he's like, okay, I I was going to let you go, but now I'm not. You know, things where he's toying with the kids' emotions and expectations. And I think the mask works better as that sort of thing. Basically setting him up to be gaslit so he can, oh, well, now I got to kill you because you tried to escape. I'm like, you literally told me to. (laughs) Well, yeah, because this is. I mean, these things are always about control, right? Yeah. And it's usually usually a person who's out of control in some other way, or they feel like they were out of control, and now they're using this as a way to control and and you know own another person and kind of work out these terrible like damaged thoughts. So it makes sense to be that mask to be that sort of a thing as well, where. Um, like you said, just being a spooky yuki or, oh, don't look at me, I'll melt. You know, that, that kind of thing. <laughs> that kind of thing doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so, Yeah. Uh, and we, we talked on the regular podcast about just Scott Derrickson in general. Um, I'm not like a huge fan. Like, it, I'm, I'm trying to think. I don't think I've hated a movie of his, but I haven't really loved one like I do yeah. with this one. And uh I don't know. Maybe this is like a like a Frank Darabont Stephen King thing, where like maybe mm-hmm. Scott Derrickson just gets uh, Joe Hill, and maybe they should uh, shit. Maybe Scott Derrickson should go through the rest of uh, rest of the twentieth uh, century ghosts, and or more likely, maybe this was just a book that spoke or a story that spoke to him specifically. And you know, maybe we should just move on to other things. Um, but that I, I got a real sense of inspiration here to the point that I think that uh like you should probably listen to the audiobook of the, the short story or read it, and you'll probably get like a, a little more out of it. Not much, because again, all this is in the movie. But uh this is like a rare case where I think the movie's better than the the source material. Like I but, agree, like, I like agree. by a lot, and that's not that's something special because you don't say that often. Well, it, it, the short to me, the short story is kind of like we talk about with his earlier films. The short story is fine, but it doesn't yeah. blow you know doesn't blow me away. But this movie is really good. I, I kind of wonder, and this is probably impossible to figure out, but I wonder what the effect of making these small films and then making this really big film, you know, with the uh, Doctor Strange movie, and then coming back to this. I wonder if I don't know what it is what that does to you as a filmmaker, where he now knows he can do this big tentpole, uh, crowd pleasing, giant, mega, multi billion or million dollar movie, and then to be able to go like maybe almost release all of that. Uh, once again, I'm just totally projecting this, but release all of that pressure, filmmaking pressure of am I good enough? Am I skilled enough? Whereas he can just focus on the material and actually really just hone in on 
making a really great movie and not, you know what I mean? Like yeah. you kind of get what I'm getting at. Yeah. Like, I, I, I also think with this, it has to do cause like uh sinister and uh, deliver us from evil and Dr. Strange, like the stories there, like uh, as Anderson says, those movies are in one eye out the other. Like yeah. the, the, the stories aren't there. Um, I don't right. It, as soon as I left the theater, I was like, yeah, I think I saw that, you know, th- it just didn't stick with me. Um, this one has like the, the atmosphere, you know, it's good. The story is super simple. Um, and so since the story is so simple, you got to lean on the characters, which they do. And you have to lean on the, uh, atmosphere, which they do. And, uh, from what I recall, like the, the sinister and deliverance from evil got a little too overly complicated. Maybe, maybe not, but it, it, it feels like it just kind of got a little too full of itself. And then, um, with Dr. Strange, it's a Marvel thing. So, you know, it's, it's, um, well, not punching cause that's not a Dr. Strange move, but you know, uh, th- this one just felt like they were focused in, we're going to tell the story. We're going to, you know, eyes on the prize and we're just going to, we're going to, we, we talk about that sometimes, um, when people just tell completely simple story and just focus on making that story the best they possibly can without adding a bunch of unnecessary frills to it. I, I agree. I, I do, I do still think there's some mysterious secret, something going on here. I don't know if it's yeah. a combination of he and the other writers and the material and the actors, you know, bringing Ethan Hawke back in after sinister. Uh, Cause you, if the wet, what is the mysterious part? to me about why this movie works is that you could imagine almost the exact same script totally not working. Yeah. Like those, those scenes where the kids are communicating with him could be absolutely ridiculously silly. And somehow they really work for me. They really work. Yeah. So there's that, there is something to like the, the tone and the way it's shot and the way it's directed and the way it's edited. That is is working really well in a special way above and beyond just a simple story told. It's like how they're telling it, right? Like yeah. this story could be told with almost, I'd say identically the same script and be probably nearly at least half as good, <laughs> you yeah. know? Although so, I think with the script that they had, I, I haven't read the script. It's pretty good. But, it is pretty good. <laughs> but I mean, I, I haven't read the actual script, so I don't know. Right. I, I, I assume it's in here because it's in the movie, but um I, I think one of the best things they did with it was they spent some time with the previous victims. Yeah. Cause normally in a movie like this, it's the victims are just faceless kids. I miss mommy, you know, right. you know, where daddy, I don't know. Oh, kids in peril. This isn't that this is now we know these kids, these are actual characters now. And now we know, you know, we grow to hate them, love them, you know, the bully, fuck him, the the baseball kid. Oh, he's nice. That, that sucks that he died. You know, we, we actually have stakes in the kids that are already dead. And then so when the and then, you know, hearing the main character talk to him and then his reactions towards them, because we know what he, you know, what his relationship is to him. Dude, Hollywood, take notes for fuck's sake. <laughs> You reminded me when you said that that was one difference from that, this, the movie and the short story that I really love too. So we go through and we get all these different communications with the kids and they keep telling him like, try to do this, try to do this. And he keeps trying to escape or set up different things. And then there's the one towards the end where he talks to the kid 
And then we get the girl having the vision of that kid in the past and getting into the car with the kid and then hearing the phone call from the other side. And I thought that was really cool and yeah. a totally neat little twist. Nothing that was in the story whatsoever. It's something that didn't have to be in this movie, but it just it gave you at a point in the movie where you were kind of getting that pattern. It gave you a switch up of the pattern, plus that extra connection with the sister that I thought was really nifty and really cool. Yeah. I I, I think uh, like going forward, if like, uh, and who is the writer again? So you got Joe Hill, Scott Derrickson, and uh, C. Robert Cargill. C. Robert Cargill. Uh, I'd, I'd like to see him do not another black phone, but just like let's let's just get something super simple. Let's just just meat and potatoes, and let's go for something like this again. Because that that this is this is the kind of stuff that really works for me. And, uh, and I wonder, I wonder because they've been a team for a while. I wonder what his deal or what the director's deal is now. Like, does he have to make a big one to get the the funding to do a little one like this, or is it I, one of those I, kind of? I wouldn't imagine because I think this movie did pretty well. It's it's yeah. uh, Blumhouse, and yeah, and it, you and know Jason Blum usually bucks. says, "Here's like here's five million dollars, go make your movie. Sounds good. Here's five million. Like why wouldn't? Hey, here, here's another here's another Joe Hill adaptation from Scott Derrickson. Here's another yeah. five million. Just go go make it." Yeah, and just like you said, start becoming a kind of a, a a team a team up that becomes successful because if they can make these modestly uh, budgeted pictures like this, this kind of movie is going to always make a profit. Like yeah. even if it doesn't do great in the theater, this is the kind of movie that people will will rent or watch, like having a Friday night or a Saturday night yeah. and hang out. You know, because it's like it's not your super disturbing hereditary kind of horror. This is pretty meat and potatoes. This is yeah. pretty mainstream i mean it's creepy and scary and, and effective but you know average mom and pop america could watch this movie and also like you know? from a producer standpoint not that i'm a producer but the, from what i understand um you know five million is nothing like oh right it, yeah. it, especially if you have like it if uh this team's going to be making movies um you know uh at the five million dollar range and they become known for oh oh they got a new one coming out i'm checking it out that five million dollar you know just keep that budget you know and make you know 50 70 million in the box office like dude that's like one of the best business plans ever because people are going to go see it because it's like oh this is these are the people that make these movies and they're constantly good yeah yeah you make three or four of these it'll become a yeah you'll get that solid like uh reputation yeah people are gonna it, know it'd be good. like an a24 thing you're not yeah. gonna make an a24 movie for a hundred million dollars because you're gonna lose your ass on it but making an a24 movie for like two million you know between two and five million people are gonna watch it just because it's a24 it, it's known for quality yep to well to a certain group of people some people are like oh they're full of themselves well, okay whatever well but that's that's <laughs> i mean if you're making you know lower budget movies and they have a, a reputation to your audience that's yeah. big enough. That's all you need. You don't like, if you make a really good quality action movie and you have a good quality action star and a team up that continues to make those for five, 7 million, whatever. And you can make back your 30, 40 million on each of them. Yeah. You don't have to appeal to everybody. You have to appeal to that, that, hardcore action audience or yeah. whatever whatever that audience is romance or you know teen dramas or whatever you know you got so 
And this is talking out your ass with Eric and Bruce. <laughs> yeah, we're just making shit up, aren't we? Hey, studio, you know, producers, we totally know what we're talking about. <laughs> uh, but yeah, th- this is a really fantastic movie, and uh, just like a really good. I, I hope a bunch of people um, that need to watch this movie and get the right get the right um, lessons from it because I think I think there's a lot of good ones here. Uh, you know, just said, just in in terms of adapting source material. And I hope a lot of people give this movie a chance because I think a lot of people, you have to give them all those warnings ahead of time. Like, oh, that's a horror movie or it's gory or it's really, yeah. you know, extreme or whatever it is, which is understandable. You have to do that for some people. But I think this is one of those movies you don't have to do that with. You can yeah. say, you can watch this movie and it's going to be a good, scary, creepy, fun time. Actually, biggest lesson Adapt short stories. Yeah. Because <laughs> they're usually short and they're usually not long enough to yeah. make a feature length, but there's usually like little diamonds that you can kind of mine to kind of expand little bits, bits and pieces well, and explore further, explore uh, the bits of the short story provided yeah, that's in the short story. You do these Lords of the Rings. You're going to have to make these, like you know, four four hour movies to try to make it and it's still gonna miss something yeah you know even as much as you love dune like they're having to do it like two movies for one book and even then it'll probably miss some giant you know subplot and it's like you're right like you take a short story that's really simple you can make very a very rich meal out of that those ingredients and and make it still hundreds of them just just throw them out there there's so many out there. Even like that's why like a lot of times you see great movies made out of uh, a short film. Yeah. Like people start with a short film and they're like that's a really great short film. That could become a bigger a bigger universe and a lot of times those work out really well. Not always. Sometimes they just take the short film and just yeah. stretch it out. But yeah. So, Ralph Bakshi, if you're listening to this, adapt I have no mouth and I must scream please. <laughs> Actually, Phil Tippett, he nailed it with Mad God. <laughs> Don't take 30 years. You're you're getting up there, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But anyway, I think that's about it. Um, Unless you got anything else to add? No, I think that's it. Go out and uh, listen or read the the Black Phone and then watch the movie. Yes. And you can also find our merch, such as these wonderful pint glasses and T-shirts on finderfilms.com. We should take a little trip. Just the two of us. That does sound kind of nice. How'd you even find this place? I thought that you would like it. Why is there another car here? We booked a cabin for the weekend. It's already dark. There aren't any hotels for like 100 miles. You can stay. This is like the inside of your brain. Everything all old school. Dude. The game for lovers. I'm gonna turn in. Max? Max! They're gone. Come on, you're not even the least bit curious. About what? Who is this woman? What's he seeing her? I rented your cabin. I need the contact info for one of your guests. So you want to call her? 
No, I need to find her. Can't do a stakeout without a partner. That's her. Where the hell is she going? Jesus. I'm glad to see you. What is this? We all are predictable. When they want something, they'll do whatever it takes. I thought he left me. Hey guys, we're back with our Gone in the Night spoiler section, okay? If you aren't here regarding this cinema hotspot, I want to actually drive home the fact that last couple months I've been trying, I'm really trying to get our findyourfilms.com website up and running. I think one thing that we want to do, and I've talked to Bruce and Eric about this over the years, we can have actually spoiler stuff on the site that will be a home that will be evergreen, evergreen for people to go to no matter... Uh, come rain or come shine, okay? One of the great parts of our archive. Bruce, do you know what, what is the best part of our Find Your Film archive? What is our best library as far as that goes? Our best think, Probably, as as- um, is it going to be like the recommendations from different people you've interviewed for movies, maybe? And to be honest, I think. do you have an idea of what, what is the best resource for our archives as far as our movie archives? Eric, do you have a guess? Uh, no. Okay, well, I think the answer is unfortunately, well, fortunately and fortunately, the reason why I I love our Cinematics Facebook group is you can just go into our Facebook group on the search bar, just type movies or type actors, and you'll have some kind of discussion thread. Now, for findyourfilms.com, I want that. I'm not going to say it's going to be as great as a Facebook group thing because we have 500 people contributing or close to five. How many do we have? We have I think we have 590 members contributing all at different times their movie uh, suggestions. But I would like for me, Bruce Perky, Eric Holmes, and Anderson Cowan to have a website that houses stuff from cinematics, from Find Your Film, and, and most importantly, about movies. And I think a big part of that site will be spoiler discussions and, as Bruce alluded to, favorite movie discussions as well. Not even discussions, just a house, a house where you can learn what are some of the favorite movies of actors and filmmakers you might adore or you might not even know about or or movies you might not even know about. We just want this to be a site that works for you, dear listener. That said, one of the spoilers we are discussing right now as we speak is Gone in the Night, or as Bruce Perky and I'm assuming Eli Horowitz, Horowitz wanted to call it initially, The Cow. So as you get into this right now, we're just going to assume that you have, A, have seen this movie, and B, just don't mind, or may see this movie and don't mind listening to the ending, or C, you're never going to watch this movie and you might just want to know what's the big twist, okay? So quick plot summary, Kath is played by Winona Ryder. She's with her younger boyfriend, maybe a gen, like maybe he's uh, 10 to 15 years younger than her, played by John Gallagher Jr. They go to a remote cabin right in the middle of the woods, right in the redwoods. They meet two young youngsters, and they're two teen lovers, played by Brienne Chu. Not, not maybe, maybe not even teen, maybe like early 20s lovers, a couple. Owen Teague and Brienne Chu. They are the, the uh, two younger couple, the two couples, the two uh, lovers in the cabin. They have a little bit of a argument with the older couple. The older couple believe that they have some kind of 
timeshare this weekend. They're supposed to stay in the cabin, but the younger the younger folks said, no, we're renting out the cabin this weekend. So what happens is the younger folks, they decide to actually be nice people for once, and they let the older folks in for just to stay overnight. What happens is they play a sex game, a sex board game. Eric Holmes, what is the name of the sex board, board game that you're interested in? Uh, pillow Talkers. Pillow Talkers. The board pillow. game. Pillow Talkers, obviously, it's a it's a it's a game where where that young woman played by Brianne Chu ends up licking the elbow of Max, played by Jan, John Gallagher Jr. Kath, played by Winona Ryder, just like I would. When it gets to a certain time, I get tired as a fifty year old. She decides to reti- retire to bed while all the the youngsters and her younger boyfriend Max decide to play Pillow Talkers the rest of the evening. Kath wakes up in the morning, he's gone, and the rest of the movie. She, she's trying to find what happened to Max. Why is my boyfriend gone? Where did he disappear off to? At, at first, she decides to like maybe I'm I'm happy being just owning that plant shop in near my apartment. Everything's fine and dandy. I'm okay. And lo and behold, the owner of the cabin, played by Dermot Moroni, he comes in and he tries to help her find out what happened to her ex boyfriend. That is gone in the night, folks. If you have have no idea what it is, as of this recording, it's it's in theaters. I we our review is on on the podcast feed. What is the big twist regarding Gone in the Night, Bruce Perky? That that is alluded to the trailer. Can you tell our listeners what happens to Max, played by John Gallagher Jr.? What happens? Well, uh, well, first of all, we find out there's all these kind of time jumps, so we can find out, like, recontextualize what actually has been happening behind the scenes because we discover. That they weren't really just there by random and all this kind of stuff, but basically they're there to get Max because they discover that Max will be a perfect candidate for this medical mad scientist thing that <laughs> Nermit Roll Rooney's character is doing to basically uh, create a fountain of youth i don't know it's, it's it doesn't make any sense well the initial the, the and he's argument. gonna essentially he's gonna have him like this uh living uh source of clean blood or something kind of that's it uh, to stop the aging process of yeah. i don't know how i don't know how he's figuring this out scientifically from his little cabin but he is apparently speaking of which Dermot moroni he has pretty much silver hair now he is uh my age and bruce perky's age and he still looks awesome so for for a good looking guy like Dermot moroni to stop the aging process i'm thinking what what does that make me and Bruce Perky as far as aging men? I mean, he's a good-looking man, and uh, maybe maybe me and Bruce are the real cows in this movie. <laughs> we are not bankable actors, put it that way. <laughs> we're not bankable actors. Nope. We, we would never have a friend like Julia Roberts for my best friend's wedding. No, sir, we wouldn't. So that's the first twist. Dermot Maroney is actually uh, – well, actually, what happens is he seems like a nice guy. Because he has his son, played by Owen Teague, and, and his son's girlfriend, played by Brianne Chu. They're the ones who come up with the idea to to pretty much uh, beat up on Max. Or wait, wait, do they beat up on Max? Or they drug, they drug Max. They put him in some kind of cylinder, right? And then they eventually... The, Max is ended up is ended up like a, a guinea pig for these experiments for Dermot Moroni's character for the young blood. Now, Eric, what's do you remember what the second big twist of God in the Night is? Do you remember what the second the second big twist? I mean, that's yeah. he was wasn't that it? He was just in the he was in that pod in the back. Yes. Oh yeah, I, I know. You're probably talking about when Winona says like, "Wait, don't kill me." <laughs> Is that one? <laughs> well, there's well, very good. That's a, that's a twist I would have missed. Eric, the second twist, listeners, the second twist is 
You think Dermot Moroni is the mastermind? No, he's not. It's actually the kids who wanted okay. that fresh body. That's the first, that's the number one twist. The number two twist is the reason why Owen Teague, who plays the son of Dermot Moroni's character, the reason why he and his girlfriend decide to actually take, uh, not take the life of John Gallagher Jr., but to have him as a living guinea pig inside that pod at the beginning, which is referenced in the first frame of the movie, is because they believe... That oh, the dad, yeah, it's a it's a disease. The dad has a disease that is passed down from generation to generation. In this disease, it makes one terminal. So the big twist is Brian Chu finds out from the doctors of uh, some kind of paper in Dermot Moroni's uh, drawer. She she opens she opens the drawer or something like that, and she sees a piece of paper, and it says that the tests regarding his, his disease came out came out negative. So he's not dying huh. whatsoever. He's not dying. Dermot Moroni isn't dying. So it's even perverse that they're keeping this guinea pig or this cow, this John Gallagher Jr. in the pod, not oh. just to save his life, but because Dermot Moroni doesn't want to age. He, See, he I, I, I didn't catch that yeah. part. Because okay, I, yeah. I, I probably, I probably got distracted by my eyes rolling just having them <laughs> no, Well, this goes into straight mad scientist territory, which yeah, that's when yeah. it gets really Cause outlandish. Because I, I do remember the part where they they opened the door and saw the thing. But, yeah, the, yeah that didn't that didn't click yeah, no with me at all. Yeah, well, there, this is what spoilers about. I mean, I, I guess it kind of makes sense. Like, that, that'd certainly be I, – I thought when you said the twist, I thought you were just talking about them tied up. Using his blood for for those young children, blood to make me last longer. Like, and and Bruce, can you mention what the third twist is, which is really interesting? Well, first of all, yeah, there's a couple things. One of those I was going to mention is, um, I guess, is supposedly Greta's thing that she just wants to have it for herself to stay young. That's the only thing I could think of because I couldn't think of why she's letting herself get involved in this. Because it doesn't seem like she oh. loves the boy that much. So, oh, the uh, Noah Ryder's character? No, no I'm talking Chu's about character. Brianna Chu's no, character. I, I, oh, I think I, I, think I, I thought she was just a, a sociopath. That's what I thought too. Yeah. She acts yeah. absolutely insane. But anyway, towards the very end, she's like, "Give it to me," and then like, um, <laughs> Winona Ryder's character is like, "Wait." Cause she's already made a, she's actually made a ca- connection with uh, Mr. Mulroney and she's like, wait, let me have it. Just get her, kill that, get, take her and use her as a blood bag. And give it to me. All right. Uh, I guess that's what we've got to do then. Come here. And he, and he just, he's just like, okay, sounds good. And then in the meantime, while he's getting ready to do that, somehow blood cowboy, she's able to get him up and walking and she's walking towards the door with blood cowboy with his little, like a, uh, you know, IV in tow. <laughs> and then he falls over and dies. <laughs> and then she locks them all in there and just leaves them. And she leaves all of them. them. She leaves them in there. And then she and goes and looks out the window because she likes the, the view. Yeah, yeah it's, see, it's, I, I, I did not like that. <laughs> you know, she's I looking out the it. window. I'm like, don't end it here. Don't end it here. They start rolling credits. I'm like, <laughs> and that was the moment when M. Night Shyamalan rolled his eyes. <laughs> well, no. He, the, the whole time, like, uh, when he was, when he disappeared. Um, it's like, okay, they ran off together. That's kind of weird, but whatever. And pretty quickly after that, I'm like, oh, wait, no, there's something else going on. And, you know, when she started kind of stewing over it. And then they, uh, I was like, I wonder if this is going to go like, uh, maybe this is like a vanishing sort of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then when they showed like that, that, uh, that, uh, uh, tub that plastic tub in the back or whatever. Right. It was a plastic or metal, whatever that barrel was behind. 
and uh, they kind of hinted that he was inside that. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, this is definitely like a vanishing thing. I wonder where they're going. So I thought maybe it was going to be like, if you want to, you know, I, I basically thought that they were just going to rip that off and go, if you want to see him again, you must blah, blah, blah. Or maybe something along those lines. So when they got to the, the oh, he's a blood cow. Um, <laughs> it, it, yeah. And, and the weird thing is something like that could work. I don't think it works here. Mostly because I don't. And, me, unless I missed something, they didn't set anything like that up. Well, it's almost like it, it could have just barely, you know, easily been. Um, uh, where is he? Uh, he's been a Tyrannosaurus all along. Uh, okay, <laughs> sure. I, I, okay, why, why, why that? Like, there was nothing to suggest that there are dinosaurs or anyone could be a dinosaur. So why, you know? So the the whole idea that. Oh, we have them for blah 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 blood and the, like I, I didn't unless I missed something which I probably did. Um, I, I, I didn't. It, it didn't feel like that was the that was the story they were telling. So when it came up, it just came out way left field and not in a oh holy shit I should have figured that out sort of way. It's a oh okay I guess this is what we're doing now sort of way. This you're kind of getting at what I kind of love about this movie how, in the preposterous side of it, and that is a movie like this. Okay, the way it's supposed to work, which apparently for Greg it works this way. It doesn't work this way. Yeah, for it me, definitely but, works. Yeah, um, way it's supposed to work is as they reveal what's really happening, it's supposed to answer all the questions. Yeah, but this movie actually opens up way more questions. You know, yeah. every, the more it tells you, the more you're like, well, wait, how was he doing that? Wait, what's it? So, for, perfect example. Like we have the flashback where you see. Um, Winona and Max at their party at their house and all of the old people are ageist against him and basically telling him he's a stupid young person. So he gets angry and he like storms away and goes to the liquor store to get wine or whatever it is. And then he meets up with the couple. So then you're like, okay, after you know what's going on, you're like, so is the couple just hanging out in there waiting for someone to come by and get him, or is it pure chance? And then they get per chair. Then they go and they start giving him this questionnaire, and you think, look, they're trying to trying to get him into like a swinger situation, maybe or something. And then they tell him they're going to take him off to the woods for this crazy concert in like this kind of culty thing. And then they start asking him questions like if he sleeps around and stuff and all this stuff. And then somehow they figure out that he's pure and he's usable as a blood cow i mean all of that doesn't make any sense the more you think about it you're like wait that's even doesn't even make any sense so and the whole movie is full of that like the science doesn't isn't even told to you you don't know what the science is well, it's just, it's, 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 i mean science this, yeah, yeah it's just like course. it's just like yeah. hey he, he's in his cabin he figured it out you just get blood and your yeah. eternal youth that that's how it works i, I think <laughs> i think that, that i think that the whole blood cow idea though i think that could work I, like, it could have. <laughs> like, take the, I would say take everything that happened up until that the twist, the main twist, I guess, um, and just come up with a, like a different ending for that, and have that be the the thriller, you know, the thriller vanishing right. type movie, and then take that whole blood cow stuff. Like that seems like it wants to be its own movie. That needs to be like the, uh, you know, Ed Wood kind of uh, mad scientist. Like, let's see that that mad scientist movie because I. Uh, I, I know you liked it for the ridiculousness of it, but like right. I was like I was all in on the mystery, and then when it just came to that, I'm like, this needs to be something else. Like the the, the this this whole craziness 
works, just not in this movie. Okay, so, so just as a recap, uh, I'm sorry, sorry, Bruce. Kath ends up with in that in that sort of what, what is it that pod, and she's in the pod and she discovers Max there. He he has that catheter or whatever that thing in his uh, in his arm, and she she kind of surmises that they're using him as experiments, and that's where it gets kind of scary because you're wondering is Kath going to die? What happens is Dermot Moroni. And his son, played by Owen Teague and Brian Chu, they got, they confront her. And like Bruce said, she flips the table on everyone by, by playing to Dermot Moroni's emotions saying, Oh, instead of being creeped out, seeming creep, seemingly creeped out and fearing for her life at this moment because she was discovered, she turns the tables because she has the emotional connection with Dermot's character. And she says, Oh, well, you're, you want to get young. I want to get young too. I'm old. Please. Please uh, give give me my own blood cow, and that's that other blood cow, cow would be Brian Chu. While Dermot Moroni is having that hesitation moment, and actually his son, who who's really who actually realizes, yeah, you know what? As much as I love my girlfriend, I love my dad more. So if he really likes this cat girl, I'm okay. She can be like my mom. My mom died. I can be okay with that. So while they're thinking all these things, sorry, Bruce, um, what happens is Kath. While they're Arguing for some reason, Kath is able to get John John Gallagher Jr. off his off that table, and they're, he's now kind of conscious, and he's kind of walking with that with that blood bag on him too. And before the only way she gets out is actually John Gallagher Jr. has a, a kind of hero, heroic moment. He pulls the thing off his neck, and he starts bleeding to death. And they they're so freaked out. Those three people are so freaked out. That, that that gives Kath her her split second chance to get outside the pod, and she locks the locks a door in the pod, and it's it's hard to get out because it's really well locked now. And now there is her dead, there's her dead boyfriend. Okay, in possibly a heroic moment, and there are those three people in the pod. And like Eric says, she goes off and she goes off into the beautiful cabin. And the final shot is her looking out into the distance at the beautiful view of the woods, as well as the pod. I think she's, I think she has a glass of wine with her as well. I don't know, but it's a really tranquil moment, which is out of place and kind of cool because you realized, well, Kath, who knows who gets really emotional when plants die, literally killed three people on the pod as she looks on like a sociopath. So it's a really interesting ending. Yes, Bruce. I have a question. Do you think, and I I do think this, so do you think, at the very beginning of the movie, we see this slow push in on the, the container and you hear this like like this weird like music knocking sound. And you see that same thing like multiple times in this movie. Do you think basically this whole movie is her listening to them slowly dying and knocking on that thing. And that that slow push in is what's happening while she's sitting there imagining this whole thing. Like she's sitting in there, she's sitting there in the cabin and with the whole movie is her recollection of all these events happening while they're dying in there. And that's why they keep going back to that thing, that slow push in on the container because they're in there knocking. They're just, they're dying slowly. That probably makes me like this movie better. That is great, Bruce. I did not notice that. I think no, no joke. I think so. I think you're right. It's right because it's so stupid. No, 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 no but I'll it tell doesn't you. matter, no, no, so it makes it better. Bruce, <laughs> who else can knock on the door? Who else can knock on it? Yeah. John Gallagher's character, he's he's basically yeah. half dead on the on the yeah. table. There's no one very good. Wow. Okay, so that is our spoiler discussion. Hold on. Didn't she take yes. him out of the didn't she take him out of there? 
No, no he, he's dead. He's dead. He, he he pulled out the thing. They're all also, in there. Locked all in there. Hold, hold on. She, she I, killed I them all. She had him and that, that they were having him and walking with that uh, IV thing at some point. Yeah. He took the IV out. No, that's it, Eric. He took the IV out. He so, fell. Because he was so... He was so disoriented he took it out because it was All uncomfortable. Right. Well, by the way, buddy, that uncomfortable you feel, that's your, that's your lifeline. So he takes it out. Blood pours. Everyone freaks out. Then right. Kath leaves the thing and she closes it. And, and, and you know what? She killed Dermot Moroni basically. Dermot Moroni who gave her a good deal on a dead, dead plant. He hooked her up, probably paid for her lunch at that beautiful little restaurant. She killed him. She killed him. And she killed this kid. And she, she killed yeah, the uh, sociopathic right girlfriend. Then. The final shot should have been her sitting in the window gazing out while the knocking's going on in the background. And in the background at the window, that one guy should have shown up again waving. Like, hey, hey, <laughs> so, is that you? That is so <laughs> funny. That is so funny. So before we go, we're going to talk to Peter Beta in a, in a few moments. Listeners, plug a plug for the Cinematics Patreon feed, okay? For our Cinematics Patreon, I actually asked Brianne Chu. And look, Eric and Bruce haven't heard. I don't think they've actually – have you guys heard the, the spoiler stuff? The – I have the John John Gallagher Jr. director Eli Horowitz and Brianne Chu talking about the end of Gone in the Night. So hopefully that's some extra value. If you hate this movie, you have our spoiler and you have some extra stuff. If you want Patreon, yes, Eric Holmes. I need to point out one thing I found out about Brianne Chu um, and Bruce again. Love this. Uh, the uh, the movie The Blazing World. Uh, Brianne yes. Chu's not in that, but she's in Carlson Young's short The Blazing World. And that oh. you can find on Vimeo. It's uh, not, I mean, it's like 15 minutes long. And she's uh, like, Brian Chu's in it for like two seconds. She's kind of a background character, but she's in it. So I thought that was cool. She was also in that horrible zombie movie we watched earlier this year. Unhuman. Yeah. Unhuman or whatever it's called. I think, Eric, you kind of also almost liked Unhuman. Kind of almost. I, said. I can't remember what I said. I, from what I remember, it was like, Okay. Like it, okay. it, it wasn't, it wasn't terrible. wasn't great. It was just kind of, yeah. I, I, I like this one. I like this one a lot more. Again, I hated the ending, but then Bruce pointed that that one scene out, and now I think I'm my gosh, it very good, Bruce. So that is our gone. That is it's our my gone magic in the night power. <laughs> magic power from Bruce Perky. That is our gone in the night spoilers. We will house all the stuff on our podcast feed. And if you're listening to our podcast, also go to findyourfilms.com for some extra coverage on Gone in the Night. Thank you guys so much. We will talk to you soon for the next Hodgepod.